Corinthians chapter 19. First Kings chapter 19. And beginning again, verses 19 to 21. So he departed from there, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, was tried of twelve yoke of oxen, in front of him, and he was with the twelve. Elijah passed by and passed his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Friends, have you ever had a day where something happened in your life and it really turned the rest of your day upside down? In fact, it didn't just turn your day upside down, it actually turned the whole course of your life upside down. Your life was never the same again. Perhaps you've spoken with other people about it. Perhaps you've never told anyone else about it. This evening we're continuing our studies in the life of Elijah and we're looking at this meeting with this man, Elisha, and the way that this meeting changed the whole course of Elisha's life. We're going to focus on the call, then the commitment, and finally the cooperation. The call, the commitment, and the cooperation. First you have the call, look at verse 19. Here we see Elisha receiving the Lord's summons to be a prophet. As we come to these verses, let's remember the context. In verses 1 to 5, we looked at Elijah's discouragement. If he sees Ahab and Jezebel's indifference to the Lord, even after the Lord sends rain and fire from heaven, and he collapses. He's physically, mentally, spiritually exhausted. He feels that he cannot take any more. He feels that he cannot go on, and he prays that he might die. In verses 6 through to 18, we witness Elijah's divine encounters. He encounters the Lord in the wilderness of Judah, and then he encounters the Lord on the mountain of Horeb. And as he encounters the Lord, he's reminded that the Lord is a God who is compassionate, a God who is committed, a God who is in control. We now come to the plowed field at the beginning of verse 17. We're told that Elijah departed from Horeb. The Lord had commanded him to anoint a man from Abel Mahola called Elisha to be his successor, and he now sets out for Abel Mahola, a distance of about 160 miles, as he seeks to obey the call of the Lord. And we're told that he found Elisha. Elisha is introduced here as the son of Shabbat, no other details are given. And he's described as plowing with twelve yoke of oxen. He is a wealthy man. He has these oxen, two oxen linked to one plow, and so he has these twenty-four oxen who are being used to plow his vast fields. It was very much an ordinary day for Elijah. He spends the day working on the family farm. But it was to be an extraordinary day for Elijah. It was a day that would change the rest of his day and the rest of his life upside down. We move, though, from the ploughed field to the prophet's cloak at the end of verse 19. We read that Elijah passed by Elisha. In Exodus 33 and 34, we find the Lord passing by Moses. 
then in 1 Kings 19 that we looked at a few weeks ago at the beginning of the chapter, we found the Lord passing by Elijah, and now we find Elijah passing by Elisha. Something significant is taking place in this interaction between these two men. And as Elijah passes by Elisha, he casts his cloak upon him. It's a hugely symbolic gesture. And casting his cloak upon Elisha, Elijah is declaring that Elisha is being called to be a prophet who will wear a prophet's mantle. Not only that, in casting his cloak upon Elisha, Elijah is declaring that Elisha is being called to be his successor. He is the one who will wear his mantle after him. And in casting his cloak upon Elisha, Elijah is declaring that Elisha is going to be equipped to be the Lord's prophet. He is going to be clothed with the very spirit of the Lord, the, the spirit that has been equipping and empowering Elijah up until this moment. Now, friends, as we consider this verse, we're being reminded that the Lord calls his people into life and service. That's what we see with Elisha. He's going about his daily affairs with his twelve yoke of oxen, and suddenly the prophet Elijah appears, passes by him, and has his cloak on him, showing that he has been called to be a prophet of God. It's what we see in the New Testament with the disciples. You have Peter and Andrew, they're working at their nets, and Jesus calls out, follow me. You then have James and John, and they're in the fishing boat with their father Zebedee, and Jesus again calls out, follow me. And then you've got Matthew, and he's sitting at his tax booth in his tax room, and Jesus again calls out, follow me. And the Lord continues to call people into life and into service. If you are here tonight, friend, and you are not yet a Christian, there is a word for you. The Lord is calling you through the preaching of the gospel to follow him. He is calling you to a new life. He is calling you to a new field of service. In his book, It Will Cost You Everything, Steve Lawson writes, The call of Jesus upon your life remains the most important issue confronting you. Nothing takes precedence over the summons. Answering it is the top priority of your life. This is the personal decision that you must make to follow Christ. No one else can make this commitment for you. Your husband or wife cannot do this for you. It is not even a decision that your pastor can make for you. This must be your choice to follow Christ. It requires the exercise of your will. You must own this relationship with Christ. Friends, this is the first Sunday of 2022. It is the second day of 2022. And I'm urging you to hear the Lord's call and to resolve to follow Him from this moment on and into the days that lie ahead. All the days that the Lord in His kindness and His providence might give you. This evening I am standing before you with a very simple plea. A very simple question. And it's a question that maybe you have heard many times up until now. Maybe you have never heard this question before or never heard it put this way before. And the question is, will you go with this man? Will you follow after Jesus? How will you respond to the gospel call? That is the question that the Lord is challenging you with through his word tonight. He is saying to you through his word, Follow me. And the question is, how are you responding? And if you're here tonight and you are a Christian, there is also a word for you. You can rejoice and praise the Lord that he has called you to himself. 
And I also want to ask, are you still open to His calling? Are you prepared to maybe enter new fields of ministry and service? Are you willing to go wherever He calls you to go and to do whatever He calls you to do? Are you open to His calling and resting on His promise that He will give you what you need wherever He takes you and whatever He calls you to do? There, there is Elijah and he might have been thinking to himself, how on earth can I become a prophet of God? How on earth am I going to be the successor to this man, Elijah? And yet he has been reminded as Elijah's cloak is cast upon him that the Lord is going to equip him, the Lord is going to empower him, the Lord is going to give him exactly what he needs, sufficient grace for that ministry. And so I challenge you, Christian brothers and sisters tonight, that if the Lord is going to call you into a new service, into a new ministry, that you are open to that, and that you go into that, into that, if you go through that door, resting on His promise that He will equip you. Donny Rankin, if he was here tonight, would come up with his usual catchphrase that the Lord doesn't call the equipped, but He does equip the called. And I don't think you can put it any better than that. And I don't think Donnie Boy made it up himself. I'm sure he probably stole it from Jeremiah or some other place or person. But the Lord doesn't call the equipped, but he does equip the call. We move, though, from the call to the commitment. Look at verses 20 to 21. And here we see Elijah displaying this whole heart and grace of the Lord's call on his life. Verse 20, we see the initial response to the Lord's call. We're told what Elijah did. He has seen Elijah pass by and cast his cloak upon him. He knows what this means. He recognizes that this is a formal call to the prophetic office. And he leaves the oxen and he runs after Elijah. He is full of excitement, full of enthusiasm. And we're then told what Elijah said. And he asks Elijah to let him kiss his father and mother goodbye, and he assures Elijah that having done so, he will surely follow him. It's important to know that this isn't Elijah trying to delay the Lord's calling on his life. This is Elijah, Elijah rather, wanting to publicly sever his ties with his family so that he can follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Go after the Lord's call wholeheartedly. He wants to say goodbye to mom, goodbye to dad, and having done the right thing, having honored his parents in that way, he will go after the prophet Elijah. And we're told how Elijah responded. Go back again. For what have I done to you? Elijah's response is enigmatic. Some suggest that Elijah is still disheartened, he is still discouraged in the ministry, and he would be quite happy if Elijah simply went to his parents and remained with his parents. But it makes more sense to take Elijah's, Elijah's words and Elijah's words to him as Elijah's way of saying, Go and say goodbye to your parents. I am not stopping you. I am not standing in your way. I am not going to prevent you from honoring your parents. You go and say goodbye, and, and I'll be waiting for you. And having seen Elijah's initial response to the call, we then see his ultimate response to the call in verse 21. He begins by offering a sacrifice. He takes all 24 oxen, and he sacrifices them to the Lord, and he boils their flesh. And did you notice that the fire is made up from the yokes, the plows, which the oxen had previously pulled? It is a dramatic statement of intent. Elijah is handing in his notice. And he is handing in his notice in such a way as to ensure that there will be no turning back. 
there will be nothing to go back to. He cannot simply say if things don't work out with Elijah, well, I'll go back to my plows and back to my oxen. If he goes back to the farm, where are the plows, where are the oxen? They're burned up. They're gone. And after offering a sacrifice, Elijah holds a celebration. Have you ever done something for the Lord? Made some sacrifice. And everyone could see how much it cost you because you were so miserable. I know I have. I've done certain things and, 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 I, and I thought I was doing the right thing at the time. And yet people would say to me, what on earth is wrong with you? And it's because I made this sacrifice and I thought this is, this is so hard, this is so costly. But look at Elijah. He doesn't sit feeling sorry for himself as he sacrifices the oxen, burns the plough, and, and instead of having a pity party, he gathers his friends, gathers his family, and he holds a feast to celebrate the new direction, the new calling of his life. He's saying, come on boys, let's celebrate. Let's get everyone round to my farm at Abel Mahola, and let's have a feast. Let's eat that fattened calf that I always spoke about. Let's celebrate. So what we see in these verses is Elijah is a man who displays and responds to the Lord's calling with this unwavering, this uncompromising commitment. That's what we see with Elijah. He is a man of commitment. He has been given this divine call to follow Elijah as his calling and eventual successor. And he shows his commitment to this as he publicly severs his ties with his parents. And he then shows his commitment as he sacrifices his oxen and burns the farm equipment. And he shows his commitment as he then holds a feast to celebrate his new vocation. And again, that is what we see in the New Testament with the disciples. The Lord calls Peter and Andrew to follow him, and they weave their nets, and they follow him. He calls James and John to follow him, and they leave their father. In fact, they leave their father in the boat and they go off and follow Jesus. They abandon the Zebedee and Sons fishing business. They had spoken about it for years, for decades. Zebedee had brought up these two boys, the sons of thunder, and day after day he would have said to them, Well, boys, you'll be taking over from your old man, and I wonder how the business is going. Look at how it's expanding. We're moving throughout the Galilee region, and, and you're really going to take things far. And they leave it all behind. And then he calls Matthew to follow him. And Matthew leaves his task book. He leaves the most secure job in Judea. And he goes off and follows Jesus before holding a feast to celebrate. These are men who could say, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. And the Lord continues to call his people to this kind of commitment. Again, Steve Lawson writes, Jesus will not accept second place in your life. He demands the primary preeminence or he will not be a part. There cannot be a divided loyalty in your heart. You cannot follow him in something else. You cannot follow Christ and pursue this world. You cannot love your family or your job more than you love him. Jesus must be your greatest passion and pursuit. If we are to follow Jesus, we must be all in with him. This is too important a decision to respond half-heartedly to and play church. Friends, are we all in with Jesus? Are we all in with Jesus? 
I'm not saying that you need to abandon your notice of work and give yourself to full-time Christian ministry. I am not saying that you need to abandon your family and go off onto the mission field. I am not saying that you need to sell your house, sell your car, sell all your possessions and go into some form of church work. I'm not saying any of that. But I hope that you can hear me encouraging you. I hope that you can hear me cheating you on to be all in when it comes to Jesus. I hope you can hear me encouraging you, cheating you on to be giving Jesus the prominent and preeminent, the central and supreme place in your life. Andy Prime is a church planter for 20 schemes. He works in, in Edinburgh. And shortly before Christmas, a week before Christmas, he wrote the following. Half the people I invited to our travel service today say they don't want to risk getting COVID ahead of Christmas Day. The other half I invited are all off to Hamden on buses and trains with 50,000 other people for a cup final. Our response to risk reveals what or who we worship. I'll say that again. Our response to risk reveals what or who we worship. Friends, who or what will we worship in 2022? And how will that be seen in our lives? How will that be seen on our Sundays? Will our lives, will our Sundays show that Jesus is our priority? That Jesus is our number one commitment? That Jesus is the main thing? I hope none of you think I'm having a go this evening. It is wonderful to see so many people out tonight. And I don't know who's listening online, but I'm sure there will be a few. So I, I hope you don't think I'm having a go. I know that there are people in our congregation who cannot come out right now. I know there are people in a great deal of pain right now. And for some, that pain is hindering them from coming out to our services. And for some, they may never be out in our services. But I will tell you what concerns me, friends. And again, I am saying this because I love you and because I want to be honest with you. What concerns me is when I meet people or hear about people in this town or on this island or on the mainland uh, who will be in the co-op and Tesco throughout the week, uh, who will go to uh, their workplace throughout the week, uh, who will be having coffee in various cafes and restaurants throughout the week, who will be having people in their homes throughout the week, maybe big Christmas dinners, big New Year's Day get-togethers, who will be not simply having people in their homes but going to the homes of other people and then somehow on Sundays they are too fearful, they are too afraid to gather with the Lord's people to worship the Lord. But that concerns me. And maybe I'm preaching to the choir at this stage, but it concerns me. Is Jesus less important than gathering with family? Is Jesus less important than going to the supermarket? Is Jesus less important than having coffee in Arkansas or coffee Java? Is Jesus less important than Christmas and New Year celebrations? This passage, friends, is calling us to a commitment. And a commitment that the world simply cannot ignore. 
Because right now the world has seen Christians carrying on in the same way that they're, they're carrying on. And what the world needs to see, really, and we know this ourselves, so I am preaching to the crowd, but the world needs to see absolutely committed Christians who are giving the Lord the first place, the supreme place, the prime place in our lives. And again, friends, hear me clearly. I am not haranguing those who are housebound, those who are unable to get out, those who have major health concerns, major health issues, those whose work simply isn't allowing them to gather right now. I am not having a whole friends. I hope you can do that. But what I am trying to encourage you with is to make sure that Christ is the priority, that this is our commitment. <coughs> Elijah wasn't afraid to say goodbye to his parents afraid to say goodbye to his work, afraid to say goodbye to his friends when he came to the call of the Lord. God bless us. Then third and finally, we have the cooperation. Look at verse 21. Here we see Elijah beginning his apprenticeship as Elijah's assistant. And so far we've seen two very important things happen in the life of this man, Elijah, we've seen him receiving a divine call, that the Lord has called him to a new life, called him to a new field of service, and he has been called to be a colleague and successor to Elijah, Elijah. And we've seen him responding to that call with wholehearted commitment. He has publicly severed his ties with his parents, he has sacrificed his oxen on a fire made from his plough, and he has held a feast with his friends to celebrate the new direction that his life is going in. And look at what Elijah does next. We're told that he arose. He has been sitting with his friends and sitting with his family as they have feasted on the finest steak that Abel Mabola had to offer. After three years of drought and after three years of famine, when life had been so miserable, more miserable than two years of COVID, suddenly uh, there's this great feast in Abel Mabola as Elijah is giving all his oxen for a steak party. But Elijah can't remain sitting there forever. And so he rises. And we're told that he went after Elijah. He follows after Elijah. That this is going to be the pattern and the preoccupation of his life over the coming years. He is going to be Elijah's shadow. He is going to be walking at all times in the footsteps of Elijah. Others will take their direction from Ahab and from Jezebel, from the royal powers, the political powers. But Elijah will take his direction from the Lord's prophet. He will take his direction from the bearer of God's word. And we're told that he assisted Elijah. He becomes Elijah's attendant as he follows him. In 2 Kings chapter 2, we find him calling Elijah, my father. It's a clear indication that he sees Elijah, the old prophet, as his spiritual mentor, his father in the faith. Isn't it interesting that at one level he is saying goodbye to his parents, and then he is calling the old prophet, my father. And then in 2 Kings chapter 3, we're given another little snapshot of Elijah, as people are talking about him, and they describe him as the man who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. He has gone from plowing fields to pouring water on a prophet's hands. He has gone from being a rich and influential man to doing the most menial and unnoticed work of a servant. Now as we consider this verse, friends, we're being reminded that the Lord calls his people to a life of cooperation with others. And that's what we see in Elijah. 
He has been called to be Elijah's colleague and successor, and he spends the next few years following and assisting Elijah. Elijah becomes his mentor, his father in the faith, and Elijah is content to become his assistant, his attendant, his apprentice. And that's what we see in the New Testament with the disciples. You've got Jesus calling these men, Peter, James, John, Andrew, and Matthew, to follow him, and he calls them to follow him and to be with him, to watch him, to learn from him. And after three years of being mentored by him, after three years of Jesus pouring his time and his energy into these men, he then sends them out on the Great Commission. And you know, friends, the Lord continues to call his people into this life of cooperation with others. Paul Tripp has frequently spoken about our walk with God being a community project. The Lord welcomes us into community with himself where we find wisdom and faith and grace and hope and righteousness and truth and peace and reconciliation and strength and righteousness. But he also calls us into community with other believers who function as one of the primary instruments when it comes to our spiritual development. When you became a Christian, you were called to the Lord, but you were also called to his people, to a congregation. Quite simply, we need other Christians to help us grow in Christ and to help us go on in the Christian life. There needs to be this cooperation. In his commentary on First Kings, Phil Wright and Rice, young men often approaching about their need for regular discipleship from a mature man in Christ. They have a deep desire to learn how to follow Jesus. They're looking for godly men to take an interest in him, to counsel him, to pray with him. Many young women also feel the need to receive spiritual counsel from women who are mature in Christ. Although some older men and women step forward to volunteer for discipleship, there always seem to be more people who need discipleship than there are people who are ready to give it. Everyone who is mature in Christ should become an Elijah to some young Elisha. Brothers and sisters, some of you have been walking with the Lord for many years. And you have so much to give. So much wisdom. So much counsel. So much experience. And I want to encourage you on this first Sunday of a new year to be an Elijah to those who might be younger in the faith. Those who might be less far on in their Christian walk. Look out for them. <coughs> Speak to them. Text them. Get alongside them. Pray with them and for them. That might well be the new field of ministry and service that you're being called to on this first Sunday of 2022. The Lord's not calling you to go to Africa. He's not calling you to go to Asia. He's calling you to get alongside a, a younger Christian and say, can I help you? Can we spend some time together? Can, can we go for a coffee? Some of you might be called this evening to be an Elijah. And that might not be because you've been following the Lord for 50 years. You might have been following the Lord for 5 years and yet you've just rocketed spiritually speaking over these five years. And I want to encourage those of you who are younger in faith to 
been on so far on in your Christian walk to, to look out for an Elijah in the congregation. Look out for an older Christian and ask if you can come alongside them. Ask if you can meet up with them. Ask if you can speak with them. Some of them are just waiting to be asked. I, I just challenge the older members of this congregation, not the physically older, but the spiritually older members of this congregation. I challenge them to be an Elijah to the younger people. That their problem is thinking, I don't know if I could approach anyone. I don't know if I could approach one of these people and say, join me up for a coffee. Can we, can we have a chat? Can we have a talk? So maybe it's going to follow some of you younger ones in the day to approach them and say, can we meet up? I'd love to take your name. We have amazing older Christians in this congregation. We have amazing younger Christians. But we've also got amazing older Christians who we can learn so much from. And they don't look old, I promise you that. Some of them look very young. Some of them are very young. But they are very spiritually mature. So it's all about cooperation. So this evening we've considered the call, we've considered the commitment, and we've considered the cooperation. There is one final question that I want to close with. That question is, what are we going to do with this? You see, is this message just going to be 30 minutes out of another Sunday and we go home and we say, well, that was that. You spoke about the call, he spoke about the commitment, he spoke about the cooperation. I wonder what we'll get next week. Or friends, is this message going to direct and drive our lives as individuals and as a congregation? Friends, will we take on board what the Lord is saying to us through his word tonight? And will we proceed to act on it? Will we proceed to put it on, into practice? Maybe some of you need to act on this call. Maybe some of you need to act on the challenge to be a, a little more committed. Maybe some of you, maybe most of us in fact, need to act on this theme of cooperating with other Christians, getting alongside one another. I need members. I need people to get alongside me, just as I need to get alongside some other people and say, hey, how, how are you doing? So let's make 2022 be the year where we are acting on what we have found in the call of this man.